Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. I hope you're having a happy Sunday morning, Hope Church. I am excited to be here to continue this unexpected Advent series that we're doing here at Hope. And if you've been joining in, you know we've, we've been kind of taking a different character and a different theme for each week of the, the Christmas Advent um, season. And uh, so the first week we shared about hope and we talked about Mary and Elizabeth's story. And then last week, Tom talked about peace and he used the story of Anna and Simeon and he reminded us that really Jesus is our peace. And today we're going to be jumping into uh, the story of the shepherds and we're going to be talking about joy, God's unexpected joy. And I think I've had a little bit of a similar um, wavelength as Tom. I know last week he asked people to think through what is your version of peace? What brings to mind peace for you? Um, And I would ask that question of joy as well, but I'm going to up the ante. I'm going to do a two-part question for you. So think back, think about something recently in your life. What brings you joy? And then the second part of the question is, how do you experience joy? How do you respond when you feel joyful? Um, I am definitely someone who enjoys learning about uh, different personality types and uh, love languages. So, you know, you've got the Enneagram, I'm a type four. Um, love languages, I seem to be like a little bit of a mix of everything. But, but I'm fascinated by the idea that really we, we experience things differently. And when it comes to joy, not only do we consider different things to, to be joyful, but we express that joy in different ways. Um, so for instance, when I first started dating my husband, uh, Jeff, we, uh, I think it was his birthday and I, I had a present for him, but I decided I was going to hide his present and I was going to leave him little clues like scavenger hunt style so that he would have to find his present. And I was so excited about this. I, I like had so much joy just putting it together and hiding the clues. And when it, when it came time to give him the gift and I handed him his first clue, I just watched his face waiting for him to have this like bubbly moment of, of pure elation. And it never came because my husband does not process joy the same way I do and is not, maybe does not find the same things joyful that I do. So, so he kind of like picked up a clue and then stoically went and found another clue and then went and, you know, just kind of matter of fact the whole way through. And I mean, I think he enjoyed himself, but it was definitely not the way that I would experience joy. And uh, part of me got like a little annoyed at him because I'm like, come on, like this is supposed to be this, this amazing, joyful thing. And I, I wonder sometimes if, if we do that with ourselves or with others, if we, we think about joy and we think about certain people that seem to have joy, right? That there's just like, joyful people and there's not joyful people. And in fact, when I started preparing this message, I was like, you know, I can think of a million other people who might be better qualified to give this message. I think of friends here at Hope Church like, like um, Sam Healy or Roger Bertolini or Justine Williams. And you people are, are, are just friends that I consider joyful people people that you always make me smile and maybe you don't feel joyful, but 
Um, but I, I think of you that way. And, and we can look around at other people and we can think they have joy and I can't have that joy because I'm just not a joyful person. Um, and I, I really think that God is going to show up and give us joy. Um, the, the joy that he gives us is for all of us. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, but we're going to experience that joy in different ways. So I, don't, I think we want to start out this, this uh, service really thinking through what does joy look like for you? How do you, how do you experience joy? Because that's the way that God is going to uh, speak in your life and work through joy in your life. Um, so we're going to jump right into the Christmas story again in Luke 2. And we're going to pull out uh, maybe some things you already know or have heard about joy, but hopefully some unexpected perspective as well about joy that will allow us to embrace and uh, receive God's joy in a new way. Uh, so this section of the Christmas story that we're talking about today is just before Anna and Simeon. So last week, Tom talked about Anna and Simeon, and this section comes right before that. So we're backing up just a little bit. And we're going to be in Luke 2, verse 6 through 20. And Tom, I also had to um, recite the, the Christmas story with my family every Christmas. But with my, uh, with my family at home, we did it in the NIV version. And then with my dad's family, my grandparents, we did it with, in the King James version. And I, to this day, I still get, I cannot get those versions straight, but that's a side note. Uh, so we're going to jump in again. This comes right after Mary and Joseph, they traveled to Bethlehem. Mary is very pregnant and we're, we're picking up now um, after they've arrived in Bethlehem. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior is born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened that the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Um, I, love, I love this part of the story. I, I feel like it's this quintessential moment of joy for us. And... Um, just, just the, the thought of this beautiful light that's shining into the darkness, this, this moment where these shepherds are just in the middle of their everyday lives and, and the angel appears and has this incredible message of joy to offer them. 
And I want to break down a little bit of this story and what it might mean for us and how we receive joy as well. So the first thing I want to share is perhaps very obvious. We've already touched on it a little bit, but God's joy is for all people. God's joy is for all people. And first we know this because even in the story, we look at what the angels said to the shepherds and the angel says this very plainly, that this, this is good news that will cause great joy for all the people. So it's, it's right there in what the angel's message is. Uh, but the other reason that I know that, that God's message, that God's joy is for all people is because of who he brings the message to. Um, We've, we've heard many times over that the shepherds were not, you know, the, the highest social, um, the highest in the social structure of their time. They were probably lowly. They, their job was a more menial. Um, it was, these were people that would have been more in poverty, um, that were considered the least of these by the world. And yet this is exactly who God decides to give his message to. And um, what's interesting to me is that, that Jesus decides to, instead of doing like a top-down message where like the really important people trickle down the message, God says, I'm going to give my message to the common people, to the everyday people, because that is who my message is for. And in fact, the interesting thing to me about the shepherds is that we don't even know their name. These, these are nameless characters in the, in the Bible, in the story. And uh, maybe, maybe you feel that way sometimes. Maybe you feel like someone who's nameless and you don't know what your purpose is and you feel like you're um, just not smart enough or not good enough or um, that your life is not meaningful in the scheme of things. And I, I wonder if we look at the story and we think, man, these were just nameless characters. They had no purpose. They had no, they had nothing. And it, it scares us, doesn't it? When we feel like we don't have meaning, when we feel like we're just one more in a, uh, one more person in this mass of people. Um, because you know what? Our culture idolizes celebrity. Our culture idolizes uh, influencers. And that's who we want to be. We want to be people with a following, people with a name that is known. Because that seems like what's important to us, right? Um, this is why, you know, we see over and over, uh, celebrities who are used to endorse products or services. Oh my gosh. Just the other day I saw, um, I think it was a reverse mortgage commercial and the spokesperson who was endorsing the service was Tom Selleck. And why would you use Tom Selleck to endorse, endorse your, uh, your reverse mortgage? Well, uh, sorry, that's a bad example because Tom Selleck and his mustache are amazing and no one can tell me otherwise. Uh, so obviously you would want to use Tom for your, for your endorsement. But uh, that's aside from the point. The point is, you know, we use celebrities to endorse things because people want to follow celebrities. People want to follow the influencers, those who, that we view as having power or authority. So, you know, I looked up, you know, top influencers even on Instagram and you have Selena Gomez. So if you want to influence people to buy your shampoo, you want Selena Gomez to endorse your product, right? Or, you know, Peyton Manning. If you want someone to buy your pizza, then have Peyton Manning endorse your pizza, and then people will want to buy that, apparently. Um, and we do this because, again, we, we perceive the people that are important as the ones that people are following, the ones that have authority and power and influence and we can look at the story and think that God should have given his message to somebody with importance, someone with a name, someone who was powerful. 
And yet God is subversive. God is always subverting the way that we view things in the world. And so what the world says is powerful, God says, no, I'm going to come through the weak. And God says, I'm going to, um, the, the ones who are first will be last. And um, it's, it's the, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you have to be a servant. And so God is constantly subverting the world's version of, of importance. And so God brings his message of joy, not to the celebrities of his time, but to the shepherds, the nameless shepherds. And in fact, this is not the first time in the Bible that we see God bringing a message to shepherds. You know, um, Abraham was, um, had his livelihood from livestock. Jacob was a shepherd. Moses and his wife Zipporah were shepherds. Uh, David, who later became the king of Israel, was a shepherd. And first, I think it's this reminder that God speaks to those in low positions. God speaks to those who are, who are humble. Um, he lifts up the humble. But I also think that not, not only does God speak to shepherds uh, because, because they're kind of considered to be the bottom and they have humility, but, but also we know from, from the story in the Bible that Jesus himself is known as the good shepherd. He is the shepherd that leads the sheep and we're, we're his sheep and he leads us to pasture and he, he uh, restores our soul. He guides us. And so I really believe that another reason that God shows up to these shepherds is because he's saying, I identify with you. I identify with who you are. And and so if you're feeling today like you're just some nameless number, that you have no purpose, I just want to encourage you that you are exactly who God wants to use, that he calls um, the weak and the lowly and those who are not wise in the world's eyes, he calls you and he calls me because he can work beyond our weakness, because he can work beyond what we feel we are capable of. And God identifies with you. And if you, in fact, are someone who's feeling empty right now and um, like, like you just don't feel like you're, like you have anything to offer, um, I would actually suggest that you might be one step ahead of other people because the next thing I want to tell you about joy is not just that joy is for all people, but we receive God's joy with empty hands. We receive God's joy with empty hands. Uh, a lot of us have seen or maybe remember the MasterCard commercial from a long time ago where, you know, the child gets this, this amazing, incredible toy. And what do they want to do? They want to play instead with the empty box that the toy was in. And I was thinking about this a little bit more. Um, and I thought about kind of the analogy of, of this box and this gift. And I think this, the gift inside the box represents all the things in the world that we often find joy in. And these are not bad things. I want to I make it very clear that God gives us gifts and um, you know, food and community and um, comfort. And he gives us these things for our enjoyment. And, um, and that's not a bad thing. But what happens is sometimes we begin to rely on all those things around us to give us joy and they become idols. And, and we become so focused on filling our hands with those things that we miss God's joy. And I think about this box that's full of this gift, you know, this bulky, whatever gift that, and the kid can't play with the box until it's empty. They can't, they can't enjoy this, this whimsical, joyful, empty box and the imagination it brings until that box is emptied of the gift that we thought was so important. And I think the same is true in our lives. Sometimes God says, I, you're holding on so tightly to the world's version of joy, and I need you to let go of that a little bit. 
let go of that a little bit so that you can receive fully my joy for you. Um, because again, God's joy is subversive. And I was thinking about this, and really, God's joy is a threat to the world's joy. God's joy is a threat to the world's joy. What do I mean by that? Um, I, I think about myself, and it's so easy for me to... Um, I want God's joy. I desperately want the joy that God has to offer, and yet so often I find myself... Um, falling into a habit of, uh, of seeking joy in lesser things. And I realize that God is saying, if you want to take my full joy, Kiri, you've got to, you've got to put down some of this thing that you're holding. You've got to let go of your grip on those things. And so his joy feels like a threat maybe. Uh, and it reminds me a little bit of, of the story uh, later on in the Christmas story. Many of you know about the wise men who came to visit Jesus when he was a little bit older. And, uh, the wise men came to bring gifts to Jesus, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And on their way to visit Jesus, they passed King Herod. And they asked King Herod, where is this baby? Where is this, this boy that, that is going to be the king of the Jews? We want to go and worship him. And really what, what they're doing is they're bringing Herod into the story. This is a moment where, where Herod could, could turn and he could receive this joyful message. And he could, he could ask how he could worship as well. Um, but that's not what he does. And if you know the story, Herod uh, does not see this baby Jesus as a joyful event at all. In fact, he sees it as a threat to himself. Why? Because his hands are already full of authority and power and comfort. He has every joy that the world can offer. And so he, instead of seeing this baby as a, as a joyful gift, he sees God's joy as a threat to his own. And this is in contrast to the shepherds who have nothing Right? They're, they're lowly and they're poor and they're out in the fields with, with nothing, but their hands are empty, so they receive God's joy with gladness. They're, they're able to receive and process God's joy because it's the greatest thing that they could possibly have ever heard. Um, and doesn't this happen to us sometimes? I think sometimes we can get so caught up in um, the, the things that the world offers that we forget uh, that God is waiting to give us this incredible joy if we're just willing to let go of that. Um, I see this in my kids too. I, I realize we, we need a shift, right? We have to find a way to shift our hearts from, from holding on to things that don't give us joy and to receiving God's joy. And one of the shifts that I think we need to make is gratitude. And Tom talked about that a few weeks ago, even with, with our Thanksgiving message. Uh, but I see this with my kids too. You know, every year around Christmas, I say, oh, I want to simplify this year. I'm going to, you know, fewer gifts for the kids. I'm not going to go as crazy. Um, I really want them to understand the joy in the heart of Christmas. But Every year, and this year is, is no exception, um, you know, I'm like, they've had such a hard year with COVID. We may as well get them some nice things. And so I want to do good things for the kids, and I want to buy them treats, and I want to give them fun things. Uh, but sometimes the more that I give them, the more entitled they seem, and the more they start whining, and the more they start complaining. And I wonder what I'm teaching them sometimes. I wonder what I'm teaching them about joy, and even what I'm modeling about joy for them. Um, and I, you know what I realized that joy and entitlement don't go together. You can't have joy when you have entitlement. And here's why: because uh, when you are entitled, you feel like you are um, 
that you deserve something, that you are owed something. And so if you, if you get it, it's just like baseline. You're like, okay, well, this is supposed to happen. So I'm not very thankful because this was, this is as it should be. I'm supposed to have these good things. Um, but then if you don't have those things, well, then you're angry because you should have had them, right? So there's never a sense of joy. There's never a sense of gratitude, right? But, but this is why the unexpected things, the things that we aren't expecting, that's where the joy is. And that's why grace and joy go hand in hand um, because God's grace to us is unmerited, undeserved. It is not something that we can earn. And so when we receive God's grace in the form of Jesus, um, when Jesus gives us this gift of himself and when he gives us this gift of, of dying for us on the cross and taking the place for our sins, um, he is giving us something that we never could have deserved or earned. And there is immense joy in that unexpected gift. And it starts, our response, our receiving and embracing God's joy begins by recognizing grace, by having humility and having gratitude because gratitude sees everything as a gift. And I think that's, again, one of the ways that we can shift our posture from entitlement um, and the world's version of joy to receiving joy as God gives it. Uh, and I love, I love that God's grace is always unexpected and always brings about the unexpected joy. And so this leads me to my final point that I want to make, that God's unexpected joy is a gift that requires a response. God's unexpected joy is a gift that requires a response. Um, just unexpected things in and of themselves can bring joy. Um, I think about even surprise parties. Uh, when, we, when we don't know something's going to happen and we show up and all of our friends are there and people are there to celebrate us and we weren't expecting it, there's, there's half of the joy is just in the surprise of it, in the unexpected nature. And uh, it makes me think a little bit of my tattoo, actually. Um, this past summer, I was waiting and waiting for when tattoo parlors would open back up because uh, I really had, had this tattoo idea that I wanted to get. Uh, and so this summer, I was able to get it. Uh, and it's, it's a myrtle flower. And the myrtle flower for me is symbolic. There's verses in Isaiah that talk about um, how God will, will make the myrtle and the juniper grow instead of the thorn bush, instead of the briar. And it's, it's this picture to me of like um, a flower growing in the desert or a flower growing where you would least expect it. And it's this, it's this um, picture for me of what, when God does unexpected things in my life, unexpected things, things that happen in unlikely places, in desert places and wilderness places, when he allows beauty to come from ashes or hard times in my life. Um, those, those things are especially beautiful to us. You know, when you, when you see like a flower growing in a crack in the sidewalk or um, again, a flower in the desert where you're just like, how, this doesn't even make sense that this would be flourishing here and yet it is. And when we see those things in our life, um, it points back to God in an incredible way because it's like only God could do this. Only God could make this thing flourish in the midst of what looks like death, in the midst of what looks like darkness. And I believe that God wants to give each of us a myrtle story. Um, and maybe you don't feel like you have that yet, but the longer we follow God, the longer I followed him, the more that I see that he loves to grow beautiful things where we least expect it because praise comes through those things because those things point us back to him and because those things are our stories that we feel compelled to share just like the shepherds in this story okay the, the angels come to them and 
uh, tell them this incredible news. And what do they do? They, they hurry off and they find Mary and Joseph and the baby. So it's like they're confirming the story. And then once they've seen Jesus, they spread the word to everyone they know. Like they have no shame, no reservations, no holds barred. They're like, I'm running to tell everyone um, because of this unexpected thing that happened. And I think the whole story, like the unexpected light in the darkness, the unexpected message that they get, the fact that, that God comes to these people that, that no, one, no one would normally use to share the message. Um, but these are all things to, that speak to who God is and to the, the power of his story. And they want to share that unexpected joy with other people. Um, and in the same way, when God gives us his joy, um, it's, it's a story that we're made to share. But the other thing that I love about, about the shepherds is uh, after they go and share the story, they come back and the, the verse says that they, they return glorifying and praising God for everything they'd heard and seen. And earlier in the, the passage, uh, it, it talks about when the angels come to the shepherds, it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. And I, I love the idea of glory, God's glory. It's, it's this, uh, it's kind of hard for me to describe, but it's, it's almost like this weighty beauty and majesty of God and his presence. And so this, I just picture like uh, this presence of God, this beautiful, powerful presence of God resting on the shepherds. And part of the joy of the story uh, is simply that they're experiencing God's presence. And then that glory that they experience not only causes them to go and tell others about, about this baby, but then it says they praise or give glory back to God. And it's like this beautiful cycle. God, God fills us with his glory, with his presence. We, we witness him and we tell others and we praise God. We give glory back to God. And it's, it's just, I think, a beautiful picture of, of the cycle of um, what, it, what it means for us to walk in relationship with God. And really a, a beautiful picture of what joy accomplishes in our lives. And so as we wrap up here, I want us to um, take out your, your bag for week three. We are on joy. Uh, so if you don't have that, you can run really quick and grab it. Um, here, I'll give you a few seconds. But as we, as we open this, um, I, I want to make one comment really quickly because I don't know about you, but as we've gone through this last series, um, I've really been taking stock of my own life. And I, I keep thinking, you know, Carrie, do you really have a God's peace in your life? Do you, are you really standing firmly on God's hope? Um, is your joy a flimsy joy or is it, is it the joy that God has for you? And if you're like me and you're kind of wrestling through this, um, I think we can feel discouraged sometimes when we look at where we are. And sometimes it seems like there's a gap between where we are and where we want to be. And there's a gap between um, the, what we're experiencing and what we, what we know God wants to give us. And, uh, you know, it's, it reminds me of the, the man who says, God, I, I believe, but give me more belief. Help me in my unbelief. Um, and sometimes we can look at the gap between where we are and where we want to be, and we can see that as a negative, and we can see that as just like this discouraging place of shame where we can't get out of. Uh, but I really believe instead of viewing that gap as, um, as a negative, I challenge you to, to let God show you how it's an opportunity, an opportunity for him to grow and change something in you. Because recognizing that we're not where we should be is the first step uh, to letting God change us. And it reminds me of a song by Switchfoot, 
um, called Dare You to Move. And the lyrics say, uh, welcome to the fallout. Welcome to resistance. The tension is here between who you are and who you could be, between how it is and how it should be. And the chorus goes on to say, I dare you to move. And I think it's this reminder that we're, we're, we're human. We live in a fallen world and we are not always going to be where God wants us to be. Um, and so at every step of the way, we just say, God, where do you want to move us? Uh, what do you want to do in my life? So meet me in this tension. Meet me in where um, there's a gap and change me. And so I hope that as we open these gifts, we will view those as um, just one more way that we can let God shift us this week to receive more of his joy. So today we have in your bag for you a sparkler, not to be confused with your uh, incense stick from last week. Uh, and also, yes, should not be used in the house. So, um, but this sparkler for me is a perfect example of, of joy and it represents uh, light in the darkness. And just like this, the crackling and the popping even is like this um, uncontainable sense of joy. And I think especially right now, as the, the days are shorter, the darkness is coming on faster. I picture this little sparkler as our defiant joy. Um, this joy that pushes back the darkness. And so I just, I encourage you to have fun with this, to, to go out and just, you know, let this, let this be a moment in the darkness where you can sense God's tangible joy. Um, but then as you use this as well, I want you to remember also that God's joy prompts us to action. And the Bible says in Matthew 5 that, that we are the light of the world. God is light and we're his children. We're children of the light. And as the light of the world, we are not meant to cover this. We're not meant to hide or uh, hoard God's light for ourselves. We're meant to go out and share that. And so let this be a reminder to you of, of spreading God's joy to others this week. And the second thing that you're going to find in this bag is a little um, mini gratitude journal. And what I love is this is, uh, it has a little prompt for you for each day of the week. And I, I just challenge whether you, whether you go this through this on your own or with other people, um, there's just special prompts that are going to kind of help you think outside the box um, and be grateful in new and surprising ways. And I would just encourage you to, um, to allow this exercise, this uh, re reflective time to be one more way that God shifts you to have open, empty hands before him, to, to begin considering everything as grace and gift so that your hands are empty and ready to receive the full joy that he has for you this week. Um, thank you so much for being part of this. Uh, I, I love our Hope family, and I hope that you're enjoying going through this as well. Um, I'll pray, and I will, um, I'm excited to see you guys next week to talk about love. God, thank you so much for um, just the beauty of who you are, God, for your presence that you give us freely, for the grace that you give us freely every day. And I just pray that um, for those who feel lonely, forgotten, nameless, forsaken, abandoned, that you would remind them this week um, that you see them, that you identify with them, that you have called them by name and, uh, and you have a plan and a purpose for them. And I ask God that, um, that you'd show us where we need to change, show us where we need to shift and let go of what we're holding so that we can embrace all of your joy. We love you. Amen.